0: The redistricting process and drawing of maps is often critically referred to as gerrymandering. People clearly are willing to choose candidates from both parties and obviously the lines don't seem to matter much. The idea that we're somehow going to be able to create a nonpartisan board in our state government is just not a very realistic idea.
1: Welcome to another episode of Fact Check. I'm Caitlin Riley.
0: And I'm Bill Fian
1: And we're talking about gerrymandering. So Wisconsin Democrats and groups like the League of Women Voters have been promoting a non-binding referenda advocating for nonpartisan commissions to draw election maps. And Bill, you told me that in April of 2019, the La Crosse County Board placed an advisory referendum on the ballot for nonpartisan redistricting, and turnout was low at about 32%, but La Crosse County voted for it 77.4% to 22.6%. So do you want to tell me a little bit, first of all, about where that term gerrymandering even comes from? Because for people who aren't familiar with that terminology, it might get kind of confusing.
0: Right. Well, this uh, this comes from the very beginnings of our nation. And uh, it comes from a political cartoon that was drawn way back in March of 1812. And the cartoon was lampooning a newly drawn congressional district in Massachusetts. And this district was kind of a big uh, circle that went around the perimeter of the state of Massachusetts. And it was drawn to favor the Democrat-Republican Party candidates of the governor, Elbridge Jerry, over the Federalist candidates. So Federalist newspaper editors at the time compared the district to a salamander, and the word gerrymander was a blend of the word salamander and Governor Jerry's last name. So the redistricting process and drawing of maps is often critically referred to as gerrymandering.
1: It's funny how those terms of slang kind of become a solid definition that we could find in a dictionary at today's age. And what exactly is this legislative redistricting and why is it something that's required?
0: So, the United States Constitution requires that we have a national census every 10 years, and that national census is used for the apportionment of representatives to the United States House of Representatives. So, every state automatically gets two senators, but we have a fixed number of House representatives. It's set at 435 people. So, what happens is, based on shifts in population, the number of representatives from one state to another can change every 10 years. So in the last redistricting, which happened in 2012, the state of Texas, which is growing, gained four seats in the House of Representatives. And Florida, which is also growing, gained two additional seats. Now, some northern states, New York and Ohio, Each lost two seats in the House of Representatives based on the shifting population. In total, 18 states either lost or or gained a seat in that last redistricting process. So it's a way of reapportioning political power in the House of Representatives.
1: And how does that look in Wisconsin?
0: In Wisconsin, we have the same requirement. We take a look uh, every 10 years at the state the legislature is given the power in our state constitution to draw maps for the assembly districts and the state senate districts. That is something that if it was to change, it would require a constitutional amendment. So we would have to pass uh, some other law for some other system in two consecutive sessions of the state legislature, so two consecutive years. And then it would have to pass a statewide referendum. So it's a pretty arduous process to amend the state constitution. That's the process in the state, same as the federal level. It happens after the census. So we'll have new district maps drawn for the 2022 elections in Wisconsin.
1: And when we're looking at that, I mean, like I said, we've been talking about this for a couple of years now. What are some of the arguments for people who are saying that we need to change this redistricting process?
0: Well, the League of Women Voters has been a big proponent of creating a nonpartisan redistricting commission. What they claim on their website is that political and racial gerrymandering distorts and undermines representative democracy by allowing officials to select their voters. When done for purposes of racial discrimination, or to ensure the dominance of one political party, gerrymandering runs counter to equal voting rights for all eligible voters. So that's their claim, is that somehow the current system is racist. If we look in the 2002 redistricting of Wisconsin, what Democrats actually did was they drew maps that cut the cities in the state into pieces of a pie because these cities are usually won by anywhere from 75 to 90% uh, Democrat votes. So because their voters are so concentrated in those cities, you know, the only way they can really increase their number of seats in the state legislature is to make it a pie that goes out into the suburbs so that the number of Democrat voters in the city offsets the people in the suburban areas. It's really the only way that they could increase the number of seats that they have in the state legislature. And the problem with this is it's illegal, and it actually does discriminate against minority voters. So the Voting Rights Act of 1965 makes it illegal to divide minority communities, and so their proposal would actually have been something that did discriminate and violate laws that are meant to protect minority voting rights
1: a lot of times it's another one of those political issues that falls down the aisle so why is this something that democrats are really pushing for you already kind of alluded to it and you explained how the redistricting process can impact things but why is it something that democrats are so keen to see happen
0: so when we look at the state of wisconsin what we see is our state is almost exactly 50 50 between republicans and democrats You can see that in all of these presidential elections, the last election where Governor Evers beat Governor Walker, all these elections have been decided by less than 30,000 votes. And in the November 3rd election of 2020, there were 3.3 million people that voted in the state of Wisconsin. So either way, Republican or Democrat, whoever wins, they're winning by these very small margins. And that's extremely frustrating to Democrats because when we actually look at a political map of the state, in 2016, Donald Trump won 59 out of 72 counties. In the uh, 2020 election, he won 58 of 72 counties. So if we look at the map from a geographic standpoint, Republicans dominate in suburban and rural areas in our state. And, you know, they're winning these elections by much closer margins. You know, they might be winning by a few percentage points. But I think, you know, the the Democrats recognize that because of the concentration of their voters in the cities, the only way they're going to really pick up seats in the state legislature right now is by changing the rules of the game and finding a different way to draw the maps.
1: We've noticed the closeness in Wisconsin for years. I can remember sitting in my bed during the election with Walker and Evers continuously refreshing my phone because it seemed like every time I did, someone else was taking the lead. And so are these lines, are these maps really essential for voting in elections or is it essential to the outcomes of the elections?
0: What's really interesting is if we if we look back at November 2018 when Tony Evers narrowly defeated uh, Scott Walker in the election for governor, if we look at southwestern Wisconsin, 11 counties there, 10 of those 11 counties were carried by Governor Evers in the election. And so what's fascinating about this is that those same people who voted for Governor Evers to be governor in 10 of those 11 counties, they also elected three Republican assemblymen, Travis Trannell, Lauren Oldenburg, who's in the 96th Assembly District just south of Lacrosse, and Todd Novak. And not only did they elect three Republican assembly representatives, they also elected a Republican state senator, Howard Markline. So if how the lines on the map are drawn is so critically important, how could you possibly explain that situation? What it basically tells you is that what's more important to voters, in at least in this part of the state, is uh, the candidate, their credibility, yeah, their competency, and uh, the policies you know that they, they represent, but people clearly are willing to choose candidates from both parties, and obviously the lines don't seem to matter much.
1: And you had mentioned that some of these proponents were saying that we need to bring in nonpartisan groups. You said that the League of Women Voters have been promoting that a lot. I know that in our conversation before this, you had mentioned about a concern with that term, quote-unquote, nonpartisan groups. And what would your concern be about having an outside agency or organization drawing these lines?
0: Well, the basic question here is, is there really any such thing as a nonpartisan? You know, where are we going to find these angels that don't have any kind of political interests or opinions? That's where I would start with this. What people like... uh, Jill Billings and Steve Doyle tell us is that, you know, we should just adopt a system like we have in La Crosse County government because these are nonpartisan races. But the truth is that even in these supposed nonpartisan races, they are extremely partisan. The La Crosse County Democrat Party is extremely active in these local elections. They have a tremendous advantage in terms of of how they campaign in these races, because you have city, county, state, and federal workers. They all belong to government unions like AFSCME and SEIU. And then you have teachers who belong to the Wisconsin Education Association Union. And these people know that people that are elected in April are the same people who they're going to negotiate with for their wages and benefits in Municipal government, county government, school boards. Are these local races really nonpartisan? You know, those groups wield a lot of power in terms of being able to elect people. They're easy to organize. They have a huge advantage because they're union members. They can be easily reached by telephone or email or by a mailing. They tend to have regular meetings. They're very powerful in these local. Nonpartisan elections so we can actually look back to the last time that there was redistricting and I happened to be a lacrosse county supervisor from 2010 to uh, 2012 so they had the census in 2010. what ended up happening there was that all of the supervisors who were not Democrats when the maps came out all of the supervisors who were not Democrats were forced to run against each other. There was obviously political calculations that took place in the way that they drew the maps. They actually drew the maps in such a way that it took me out of the county board district that I was elected in, where I had defeated the incumbent, Joe Veenstra, a Democrat, and they put me into another district, and then guess what? That third district was empty, and Joe Veenstra ran again and got his old seat back. So to say that this isn't a partisan process... Just is not factually true. The idea that we're somehow going to be cre- able to create a nonpartisan board in our state government is just not a very realistic idea.
1: Now, do we have any other of these nonpartisan groups that are having influence on our election system or having influence on the political landscape?
0: Well, we don't have to look any further than the Wisconsin Elections Commission to see an example of how badly a non-partisan commission can perform. The Government Accountability Board was the old body in our state government, and they launched political witch hunts against uh, people, and Republicans were really angry about it, so they decided to do away with GAB, and we created the Wisconsin's Elections Commission. So the commission is comprised of two, of three commissioners from each political party. There's three Republican appointees, three Democrat appointees. And then the chair of the commission is appointed by the governor to serve a two-year term. And so that alternates between Republicans and Democrats every two years. So as it happens right now, the Wisconsin Elections Commission is in fact controlled by Democrats. They have the chair of the organization. You know, one of the things that we saw in this election is that the commission became very partisan. Let's remember that all the people that work for the commission are state employees. They're overwhelmingly members of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. That's ASME, and SEIU, which is Service Employees International Union. So these people are overwhelmingly voting for Democrats, and these are the people that, you know, under a nonpartisan scheme, those same types of people would be asked to draw maps. Now Are they really these angels that don't have any personal views or that don't have an agenda? I don't think that's reasonable. So if we take a look at uh, what happened in 2020 from this supposed nonpartisan commission. Well, the first thing is the Democrats that control the commission denied the Green Party candidate for president the opportunity to be on the ballot. And the way they did it was... The uh, Green Party candidate submitted his signatures, uh, signatures to get on the ballot, which were valid. Somewhere in the process of collecting signatures, he moved, and a Democrat attorney came to the meeting, challenged the validity of the signatures, and they put the own burden of proof on the Green Party candidate to prove that the signatures were valid when the burden of proof should have been on the Democrat attorney that came there. Long story short, the Democrats on the commission voted to keep the Green Party candidate off the ballot. Well, why is that important? Well, because the Green Party candidate for president got 31,000 votes in 2016. No Green Party candidate on the ballot in a state where the elections were always decided by 30,000 votes or less, for the most part. You know, that was a huge political move that this nonpartisan board took. They also ignored state law. They refused to remove people who had been flagged by our state system. We're part of a group that includes 30 states in the District of Columbia called ERIC, E-R-I-C. So what this system does is it monitors driver's license applications, change of address forms at the post office and the Social Security death registry as a way to take a look at voter registrations in the state and to flag changes in those situations. So, at one point, we had 240,000 people in the state of Wisconsin who were flagged by this system, and that should generate a letter that goes out to those people, and then those people should either respond to say, yes, I'm still at this address and I want to vote here, or they don't and they're removed from the voter registration rolls. Well, again, Democrats on the Wisconsin Elections Commission refused to allow those names to be removed from the voting list. What we know now is that just under 7,000 people who had moved out of state voted in the November 3rd, 2020 election because they didn't take the action they were supposed to take. Now remember, Biden won the state by just over 20,000 votes, and here's 7,000 votes that were clearly illegal. There were two other uh, ways that they intervened. One was they instructed clerks Across the state to issue indefinitely confined elector status to over 200,000 people, 200,000 people who never provided an ID. So, you know, this is a clear violation of Wisconsin state law, right? You have to produce an identification if you're going to vote, but they didn't do that. They also ignored state law and instructed clerks to fill in missing information on the absentee ballot envelopes, when state law clearly says, if, say, there's a missing signature for a witness, that ballot has to be discarded. Again, they ignored state law, they instructed clerks to act in ways that were were not legal. So, what we can see is that this supposed nonpartisan body clearly acted in very partisan ways. And I would just conclude from this that there is no such thing as a nonpartisan. Everybody has political opinions and personal interests and loyalties.
1: And when we look back on the redrawing of the maps that happened in 2012, was this something that had an influence on the number of Republicans who were elected into office, since right now that's a lot of the basis of these claims, saying that they need to be changed?
0: No. A Republican surged to power in Wisconsin in the November 2010 election. And in that election, they gained 14 seats in the State Assembly. They went from 46 seats to 60 seats. They also gained seats in in the State Senate. That election happened before the current maps were drawn by Republicans. If we look at where we are today, after the November 3rd, 2020 election, Republicans currently hold 61 seats in the State Assembly. So, I would argue that would actually resulted in that huge surge of Republicans being elected was the financial crisis. Democrats were in control of the entire state government. They had the governorship, Senate, and the uh, assembly, and they had passed record tax increases, and they had a $3.6 billion state deficit. And I think people across the state said, it's time to give the Republicans a chance. There were real reasons why voters decided to start uh, supporting more Republican candidates. In conclusion, I would just say that Democrats seek to change the rules when they can't win. Nonpartisan redistricting is yet another attempt to change the rules of the game. And it's calculated to convince voters that Republicans somehow cheated to gain the power that they have in our state today.
1: Well, thank you, Bill, for giving us an inside look at that term, gerrymandering, what it means, and what we're looking at as we're looking at the possibility of redrawing these maps after the census. With Fact Check, I'm Caitlin Riley.
0: And I'm Bill Feele.